Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi or something to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to you back, Ben. Um, in case you didn't know, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists who work around the clock to bring you the most interesting automotive reviews and opinions and news that we can think of in each week. And oh. this week we've got some pretty uh, intense sedans. Isn't that right? Well, I don't know if it's intense is the word. I mean, we no, have. Okay. Well, let's ask the let's let's ask the listener here. If your if the two of our cars have 1,240 horsepower combined, that's quite intense, isn't it? That's true. I did a photo shoot with with the cars that I'm going to talk about that, and in that shot there was over a thousand horsepower. So that's exactly. You know, it's crazy to say that kind of stuff because when when I was much much younger, uh, in let's say the year 2000, the idea that there would be two like 500 horsepower or 600 horsepower sedans parked side by side from two different companies just seemed absurd. I mean, there was absolutely nothing on the market over 400 horsepower with four doors that I can think of offhand. I mean, you had the, uh, in the year 2000, you had what, the BMW M5, which was making 400 horsepower. And I think that's pretty much it. You had some Mercedes that I think were at 394 or right around there. I can't remember the E55, how much power it put out exactly, but it was just 69, I think. 369, yeah. So it wasn't even at 400, and uh, nowadays it's it's like you can get a, a 325 horsepower Ford Fusion and like a, a 400 horsepower Lincoln, and it's just not a big deal anymore. It just doesn't. It, that that used to be the benchmark for me for how much power I needed in a streetcar, and in a way, it still wait, is. What? Wait, no, wait, no, hold on. Before we even get into the cars we're driving, I need to hear this conversation. That has to be the benchmark of how much power you went to the most powerful car. You could get in the year 2000 and was like, that's my benchmark. No, what does that mean? No, I'm saying work? a few years later when I was when I was buying a car uh, at that level of, of yeah. power, I, I realized that I didn't need more than 400. And and to this day, my <laughs> most my most power. Why is that funny? <laughs> it just seems really arbitrary. I think people can like graduate into whatever power is necessary for them. You know, when you get how much you're comfortable with and how much. You and it also depends on the sort of car that you have. Well, if you'd let me finish, maybe you would have. Uh, no, I'm gonna keep cutting you off. <laughs> maybe you would have heard that my comfort level and what I need is 400 horsepower, and it still is because 10 years later I still have that car. And when I drive cars that have more than 400 horsepower, I don't really feel like I need it. In fact, I'd say the limit to what I feel comfortable on the street in is 500, and that's a high max. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really think anyone needs more than 400 um in, in a street situation I mean, I mean have as much power as you want that's awesome but um just in terms of like real world performance i'm not sure how much more more acceleration and fun you really get the higher up you go past the 400 mark and yet here we are where you can buy appliance like cars with that much power so all of this to say we're, yeah. we're, we're going to be talking about two sedans, but one of those sedans is going to be two different generations of sammy do you want to yeah. go first or should i go first yeah i mean I'm going to talk about a, a vehicle that we've reviewed a couple of times on the podcast. This is the BMW M5, and this is something that I haven't driven um, for as long as I have this this week. And I have to say, this car with with a 4.4-liter a twin-turbo V8, it's got all-wheel drive, it's got an 8-speed automatic transmission, and it's got 600 horsepower. 600! And not only that, it actually has quite a lot of torque, too. I think 553 pound-feet of torque, which is... I'm telling you, there's something about this car that um, every time you and I have talked about it, I, I I just didn't get the intensity 
of this car that you were trying to describe to me. It is extremely fast. It's um, it's it's terrifyingly fast. The speeds that it can achieve. Now, this has uh, an electronic limit at 189 miles per hour. I think if you get the um, M performance um, pack or a driver's pack. How, how did you know that, Sammy? That's an unadvertised limit. How did you find that limit? It's it is advertised. It's uh, electronically limited with the optional M drivers package. Okay, whatever you say. And the regular the regular speed limit is 155 miles per hour, um, and I haven't uh, dared to test either of those numbers out to see which I have. Um, but I'm telling you, every time I do anything in this car, I end up on the more um, irresponsible range of the speed limit than the more responsible side. If you get what I'm saying, it is so fast. The, the speeds creep up on you um, if you if you are are driving gently. The speeds creep creep up on you. But if you want to be um, ham fisted or at least lead foot, um, it just rockets, man. Zero to sixty happens in three point two seconds. Three point two. That's not normal. That's not normal in any car. Even even supercars do it in three seconds. It's also a very and heavy car too. This worth, is a forty three hundred pound car. And when it takes off, it does feel like you're in a in a missile, like a like it, in something huge. This it it doesn't feel as comfortable. And like last week, we were talking about some supercars, which you know they're pretty heavy too. But I don't know; those things had lower center of gravities. They had a much more you know hunkered down feel on the road than a big sedan like this. And the first time you you put your foot into this car, it it shocks you. And I was not expecting that. It turn it turns everyone into a feel. It looks like everyone's standing still, and you just walk among them. It's insane. And it feels super big the entire time you're doing it. Like it's it doesn't yeah. It doesn't really shrink around you like some drivers' cars do. It's kind of an it's a, it's a very I, I've said in the past in the podcast it's a very curated driving experience because it has very complicated drive modes. Um, mm-hmm. y- you you can. If you want to, you you could program them. There's two buttons on the steering wheel, the M1 and the M2, and you can program mm-hmm. different drive modes. And we talked about that in the past and how it's essentially necessary because if right. you don't if you don't do that, you're going to be stuck at the light trying to figure out which combination of suspension, steering, uh, transmission, and uh, even the transmission has its yep. own unique set of parameters on the stick shift for the auto box. It's 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 a very it's a digital car and um. It's it's hard to fault it for that because that's kind of where this the entire segment is moving for mm-hmm. the most part. It's not it's not an experience that I myself lust after. I don't know, Sammy. Did you find yourself like passionate about the car? Did, were you were you excited to drive it every time you drove it? Um, I don't want to say excited. I will say that the car is thrilling, and especially when it comes to speed. But other aspects of the car were were concerning. I mean, trying to bring a forty three hundred pound car that's doing um, over 100 kilometers an hour, over 60 kilometer, uh, miles per hour in in a, in a normal area, like in in a packed area around other cars, bring it to a slowing it down is it feels quite um, tough. You know what I mean? Like I, li- I like how like you referenced the speed limit in terms of how fast you were driving when you tried your emergency brake maneuver. Every time, no, well, I mean, not even in emergency situations. It feels like every time I get in the car, it's going fast. Driving it slowly <laughs> is not is just not in its repertoire, no matter how many settings it's got. And that's one of the other things I need to talk to you about. It's got three settings for every single component of the vehicle. The steering we, the steering sets setup has three settings. The transmission has three settings. Um, the engine has three settings. The traction control has three settings, and the um, all-wheel drive system has two settings. 
<laughs> kind of, yeah. Actually, um, and, it, and I should point out, it's not called all-wheel drive. It's called four-wheel drive by BMW. <laughs> and I think, first of all, I don't know if it needs all of those things. I don't know if the steering really needs to switch between... I mean, if there's a big difference between uh, Sport and Sport Plus in the steering set system. Um, and I found myself wanting to be on the sportier side of that rather than the comfort side because it gives you nice, a nice weighted feel on it. And then the suspension as well, I found I always wanted to keep it in the comfort setting because the Sport... And the Sport Plus system is so stiff and uncomfortable and unusable on the road. Um, Whatever happened to the good old days when you just took what they gave you and you drove it? Exactly. I mean, I don't want to sound obnoxious because I really – I like the the variability in a car, but this is too much. This is excessive. The three three settings for the the transmission – I, the moment I found that out, I rolled my eyes so hard I couldn't drive for a moment. Well, you know like, what's funny is, is is there's another BMW M5 that had a similar transmission setting. Do you do you remember the uh, the E60 M5? Is that the one with the V10? Yes. Yeah. So that had the world's worst single clutch um, automated manual trans. I believe it was a single clutch automated manual transmission, which I drove last year actually coincidentally when they launched the new M5, and I, we talked about it on the show. But it's the single worst transmission I've ever driven in my life. The, the worst automatic ever. Like, it's it's by a terrible margin. But it had the same kind of uh, setting where you could, like, kind of choose how... Make it harder and then yeah. make it harsher. And you're just like, I don't need that. Why do well, I Well, in that, that car, you kind of did because all of the shifts were awful. And you kind of wanted them to... No, but you kind of wanted them to be as over as quickly as possible. <laughs> like, to reduce the, the, the period of terribleness that you were yeah. exposed to. This car doesn't have that bad of a transmission. It no, no, no. It's it's light years ahead. It's great. And I would think that maybe if I wanted to put it in the manual mode, that's when I want the harsh, you know, speedy shifts. And if I was driving in the automatic mode, um, they, that that's when it can do it more comfortably. This car just has way too much variability. I mean, I kind of hated getting in the car and trying to figure out, yes, it's got two buttons to make shortcuts, but I needed to know what my shortcut, like what my settings were and trying to figure out the perfect combination of settings took a lot of time, to be honest. And I could have spent that time enjoying the car a little bit more, um, getting used to the car a little bit more and the way it behaves. It's certainly and, an overwhelming car. I mean, you and I, we get these cars for a week. It's it's not mm-hmm. like representative of the actual ownership experience where you, you get to fiddle with everything for a long period of time. Although if the car's too overwhelming at first, it's very possible that owners might just not touch it. Like they just leave yeah. it however it is and then they drive it like that and they're not aware that they can have a different experience if they want to because we know that salespeople at dealerships are not great at explaining features. Right. And then you mentioned you mentioned in the in the podcast before that this all wheel drive system has the ability to go all um, to turn off its front axle, essentially, and send all the power to the rear wheels. But you didn't I didn't quite grasp the way this 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 stability control system and all wheel drive system work. There's a normal mode. Then there's a DSC or or stability control off mode with all wheel drive. And then there's a stability control off with rear wheel drive. Now, yeah. if I wanted to drive the car with rear wheel drive with 600 horsepower, mind you, like that seems irresponsible to have it <laughs> stability control off, all the power in the rear. And remember when you were complaining about the the Julia having 550 horsepower, and and the only way you could hear it was to turn off the stability control. Yeah. I mean, the stability control. This seems like a similar mindset, and I'm not sure I'm down for it. You know what well, I mean? Well, I, I can I can completely explain why it's like that, and I complained about that in my reviews eight months ago, and on the on the sorry podcast. about sorry about repeating you. No, I I I'm sure you never read them, so how would you know? <laughs> 
But uh, the, the the idea is they don't want you to drive in that mode. It, that mode exists so you can smoke tires. That's it. That's the only reason it is. And they don't call it drift mode because it's BMW and they don't want to say the D word. So they just have this tire smoking mode that they don't expect anyone to use. No one expects you to go on the racetrack with this car anyway. And if you do, no one expects you to go on the racetrack in rear wheel drive with no stability control on. There's that sounds no, terrifying. Like there's, that, 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 that gives me anxiety just thinking about it. There's no engineering reason why you couldn't have stability control and the front axle disconnected from the the drivetrain there's none they've just done it that way so they can have something to brag about plus it allows them to say well you know it's not just all-wheel drive you can have rear-wheel drive and me mercedes can't do that and audi can't do that and it still stays true to the original m5 rear-wheel drive spirit so we have marketing and we have uh marketing and then we have more <laughs> marketing and that's why you have this disabled system so I know it sounds that I'm coming across kind of like I don't like this car, but I have to say I am I'm thrilled that there's such a vehicle on the market. It is it is exciting. I've gotten actually a lot of people t- looking at it, commenting on it, um, and they can't help but notice it. Um, even when st- it's in traffic and not going anywhere, it makes um, pretty pretty good noises. I wouldn't say it's it's as good sounding as an AMG. But or or that Julia that we mentioned earlier, or well, maybe I, fa- even... I found the exhaust totally unpredictable. I had no way of knowing when I was going to get a good exhaust sound good. and when I wasn't. I know exactly what you mean, and it wasn't until I figured it out that I think you have to put there's an exhaust button, and you have to put the transmission in like the most harsh mode and the engine in the sport plus mode, and then you've got probably the most consistent rumbling and and snapping noises. Why can't everyone just be like Jaguar where there's a button that makes everything loud and that's it. And you don't have to do anything else. Like it's just like, here's the loud button. Have fun. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Enjoy that. Actually, I think AMG isn't far off from that. Eh. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that there's something like this. I don't want to sound like I'm uh, like ungrateful that BMW hasn't, made a an interesting sedan they have but i cannot imagine what it would be how much fun in quotation marks this would be on a track when reality it would probably just feel like you're trying to hold on for dear life and that you'd probably be pretty happy to to be done with the track do you know what i mean it doesn't feel like that on a track at all it it feels very composed it's it's heavy and large and Mm -hmm. um it drives like a heavy large vehicle on the track the all-wheel drive is fairly inobtrusive you don't really get any understeer which is nice. Um, it's, but it, there's no joy in it. It's, it's like, right. it's like any large. I, no, I wouldn't even say that. It's like many large vehicles that you take to a racetrack because there are some large vehicles that are fun and they are direct. Mm-hmm. But this is not one of them. This is again a curated experience. So you go to the track. BMW decides what kind of fun you're going to have, and if that's the kind of fun you want, you're going to like it. But if you want to have your own fun, it's going to be harder to do that with this car. Right. I. I think I agree with you there. Sorry, I didn't want to say as if um, that it's like too much to handle on the track. I'm sure that that all-wheel drive system and this thing's got some pretty good tires. We're seeing them actually on on a number of cars. These Michelin um, Pilot Sport fours. Yeah, the the, the the Pilot Sport four S, right? Yeah, these are solid tires, man. Um, and this has got um, them all around, and it it does feel pretty grippy. I haven't, despite this thing feeling like it's going to break traction at any time, I haven't had that happen inadvertently. So, oh, I I I broke traction in that car on purpose or <laughs> yes, just cut? okay, very much on purpose. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to get at. At least it never feels a bit too much. It feels like it's right on that line of being like this isn't like. 
I can't control this car and it's it's I'm under control. I'm in control. of it. You know well, what I mean? It, it, it is thrilling in that sense. But speaking of being right on the line of mm-hmm. control, uh, I, I had a similar car this week or the week before. Sorry. And uh, we were Sammy. Sammy got the idea that we should probably line these cars up side by side because they're very similar in terms of their their mission. And uh, the vehicle I'm referring to is the Cadillac CTSV which is has long been Cadillac. Originally, it was kind of the um, response to the M3 and the M5 together. And yeah. it's evolved into the M5 competitor now that the ATSV is in the lineup. And uh, this car has 640 horsepower from... More a, than that. More than that BMW M5. Yes. From a, I believe it's a 6.2 liter supercharged uh, LS engine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes with an 8-speed automatic. You can't get a manual anymore, just like the BMW. And it does uh, 60 miles an hour from a standing start in 3.8 seconds. So it's it's extremely, extremely quick. And it actually is a little lighter than the BMW, I believe, by a few hundred pounds. So okay. uh, it's it's one of the when, – when Cadillac made this CTS platform, they really went for lightness. And um, to have a vehicle as large as the CTS-V, I believe it's just over 4,100 pounds, uh, and yet have all that interior space and road presence and carbon fiber bits hanging off everything, it's it's fairly impressive. This is uh, actually really impressive. I'm I like the and I like the fact that you brought up the original CTSB, which was a little bit of a tweener, and I think we're going to get into that a little bit uh, a little bit further on in the podcast. But now it's grown up. It's quite large now, and um, the differences between it and the M5 are pretty stark. I mean, this is lighter. the The Cadillac is lighter. It's not as fast from a stop as the the BMW, but that obviously has a lot to do, both of those facts have a lot to do with the all-wheel drive system, of which the the BMW has and this Cadillac doesn't. Is yeah. there... Well, you know, and and uh, the the CTSV does have a launch control system. I'm going to see if I can pull up the video I made of the vehicle doing a, a launch control system launch, because I think that I managed to beat that 3.8 seconds um, when I when I went to the launch many years ago. I've read some places 3.7, but I know that's not a huge, that's not maybe a huge uh, difference. The thing about this is it comes with Michelin Pilot Super Sport tires, not Michelin Pilot Sport 4 tires, which might be a little bit grippier. They're summer-only tires um, on the Cadillac, and that might be an advantage in its favor. And I have to say, I mean, I've driven this uh, a long time ago, I think back in 2016, and I was impressed with it then. It was it was a very interesting car. A couple of things didn't quite strike me about it, uh, or, or didn't quite rub me the right way. Is particularly the interior. I didn't think was all the way as good as some of its rivals. But at the same time, I remember this car being pretty much uh, much more affordable than the M5 ever. Yeah, it's it's about eighty six thousand dollars right now. Uh, the wow. M, the M5 is what a hundred grand. At least a hundred grand. I think I, I have it um, a little bit more than the base price, maybe around a hundred and ten, and that's a lot of that's a big difference. I think it is a big difference for and and the other thing is on a racetrack, uh, I've had them both on on various tracks. The the uh, BMW was at Estoril in Portugal, and I've driven the CTSV at Road America in Wisconsin, and um, the Cadillac just feels much more direct. It's it's a car that clearly was designed for drivers and it was designed to let drivers do what they want with it there's various levels it comes with ptm the performance traction management which is a very nice system from general motors that has five different levels you have like 
the regular stuff like normal wet mode snow all that sort of sport mode but Can then you, you imagine this car in the snow oh it's it's not difficult at all it's just, <laughs> just you just put good tires on it and you're fine but uh, if you put it in race mode, you have five different gradations of traction control intervention right. that you can choose uh, all the way to zero. And that's very, very cool. You don't necessarily have the same thing in the BMW. It's not as granular. I mean, as granular as the BMW gets. Right. It le- the BMW is more focused on letting you choose different combinations of things, whereas the Cadillac has a very specific traction control system that has many different options and then more basic options for things like the magnetically controlled suspension and the transmission. So it's a little more straightforward. If you're at a racetrack and you're fooling around with it, it's you're more inclined to be examining the PTM and checking out race mode. If you're on the street, you don't have to worry about any of that. You put it in sport plus and every or sport mode and everything is cool. Like it's just it's what you would want. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm actually now that now that you bring it up, it's kind of interesting that they have like uh, drive modes catered to each situation, whereas the BMW doesn't. Um, is a snow mode or a touring mode? Are those like? I kind of like that idea that now I understand that I'm in this mode. I don't know. I I'm, I don't want to sound like an idiot here, but I probably am. What this difference between sport and sport plus just seems so unnecessary. It seems like <laughs> it, like a measurement that the automaker was like, no, this is. This is more than sport, so it's well, got to be something else. You could look at it that like Sport Plus is like the race for BMW, right? You know, like it's, it's the they just didn't, mode. yeah, they just didn't call it that. But then why not just call it that? I'm pretty sure like AMG calls it track. They, I, I, in yeah. fact, I'm, I know that they call it track mode. Yeah. So it's or race mode or whatever you want. It, it's not. You know, they also have a Sport Plus, I think. So there's 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 that wrinkle as well. So, anyway, I think the context sensitive drive mode or the context uh, situation. Uh, drive mode makes much more sense than just having this granularity between everything. I also wanted to bring up uh, another car that does something like this, and I was wondering if it was going to come along uh, come along um, to its throughout the the lineup. The AM the Mercedes AMG GTR has this dial, which which is like its traction control setting, and you would turn it up or down depending on how much uh, intervention you want. It yes. reminds me a little bit of PTM, but yeah, it's very similar, and it's not just in the GTR. It's in the uh, the, the new C63, C63s has it as well. It's not a dial anymore. It's on the steering wheel. They have like it is. It's like a dial on the wheel instead of a dial on the dash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like how Porsche has that little dial thing now on all the 911s. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But um, yeah, it's 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 the same kind of deal. Except, uh, I mean, this is kind of we're getting off topic here, but we've already discussed how. AMG does not really let you get too crazy with the C63S. Yeah, you said it, it kind of tries to guess what you're about to do and fix yeah. it before you. Yeah, so you do don't it. have to deal with that kind of <laughs> of, of crap with the the a, uh, CTSV. It's it's very much a direct car. Uh, I also like the instant on torque from the supercharger versus the turbocharger from the right. supercharger versus a turbocharger, which doesn't really have any lag anymore. But I mean, you don't have as much power down low as you would with the supercharger in the Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels like a more a more I keep saying the word direct, but it's it's just an experience where you're you're fully involved at all times. And it, it is a large car and it feels big. There's no question. I mean, the ATSV is much more nimble, but yeah. I. I on a track like back to back, you could probably smoke the ATSV in a CTSV if it was well driven. And in fact, last year I went to a um, 
the V Academy, which I believe mm-hmm. we talked about on the podcast in um, Nevada at Spring Mountain, and I drove the ATSV and the CTSV back to back, and like it was interesting just to compare lap times and how they're totally different cars, but the CTSV even on a tight track was still very, very, very quick and quicker than the ATSV in a lot of areas. It's such a well-engineered platform. Now another idea I wanted to bring up with you is. Um just how crazy these cars have become and are they necessary? I think you've driven an M550 and at least a CTS V-Sport, which are two high horsepower versions of these cars too. I mean, you were saying that 400 to 500 horsepower is kind of your your jam. And they, these cars are available with 500 or 400 horsepower depending on the engine you want to put in it. Is the M5 and the CTS V... These are on. These are not just luxuries. They're extravagant. They're like to the next level. They're excessive. Is what well, I'm they saying. always have been. I mean, these are not mass market cars. They're they're intended for. They were originally intended for buyers who liked sporty driving. And I no longer believe that to be true. I believe that they're currently marketing tools that are intended to show off what's capable from the engineering departments of each respective company. Mm-hmm. And they're very very comfortable grand touring cars that are extremely quick, and you can put them on a track if you want to. But uh, they they weren't like that originally. I mean, they they were more what you would think an M3 is now, and even an mm-hmm. M3 now is is kind of strayed from that formula. It's so uh, as a regular car, I mean, you, you know, you talk about the M550, and it has more power than the uh, M5 that we were talking about in the year 2000, the the, mm-hmm. the 400 horsepower one. And uh, it's obviously more capable, but it's it's not as direct a driving experience. It's much more insulated. It's intended to be a commuter car that's very comfortable, that has a lot of power. And I think that's true of the V Sport as well. I like the V Sport a lot. The and chassis. And to me, that's and to me, that's the that's exactly what I think these cars should be. They should be fast touring cars. And well. I think that the CTS platform is just so much better than the 5 Series in, wow. in for, for driving. Okay. And I think that the V-Sport and the CTS-V demonstrate that. If you put a V-Sport up against uh, an M550 on a racetrack, I think you'd be a lot happier um, just in terms of fun with mm-hmm. the V-Sport. Uh, with the with the uh, V and the M5, I, I know you would be because I've had that opportunity um but uh it's kind of weird like you said there's no real need for these cars anymore i mean like a v sport and an m550 is more than enough for anybody so what's right. this is just muscle flexing or it is people people who want to own the best version of x car so they buy this and that's fine i mean that's why that's why brands have halo cars you know that's a, i don't i don't know i'm really i'm really weirded out by these m5s uh and the and the ctsv because it seems like we've reached some ridiculous um threshold of which i don't know where we're going for. i don't yeah. know where we're going with you know what i, I mean? don't know what comes next like it's what comes next after six how do you top 640 horsepower well like, you do the 650 or the 700 you do the the hellcat thing but at least those were like sports cars they had the look of a sports car um and they they had specific features that were made for taking it on a track um, well, so does the so does the M5 and the CTSV. I mean, they're they're perfectly fine as track cars. I'm just but saying why not? Just I'm just saying get, they're not fun. It's there's a yeah. there's a big difference. I mean, you could drive a race car that's extremely competent, like a, a purpose built race car. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun just because it's really really fast. I mean, some race cars are fun and some of them aren't. Some of them are too scary to be fun. That's right. You know, I like, mean, be, my my experience in race cars have been they were always modestly powered cars with great tires and brakes, and they were ultra light. And I've had a blast with that kind of stuff. 
Uh, I can imagine that getting overwhelming really quick when you have way more power. Than you. Well, think about driving a Formula One car. I mean, do you think that would be fun for you and me? No, it would be terrifying. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> I, I, had a, I had a friend. So a good friend of mine was an IndyCar manager. He managed a team for a long time. And uh, he'd driven the car. Um, they, he'd drive it sometimes onto pit lane. But I asked him, you know, if he'd ever put it on the track. And he said, no, it's absolutely not something he feels he was capable of doing because the car is so responsive and so powerful that you have to have a specialized set of skills to be able Mm -hmm. to do that, you know. And I think that, you know, the CTSV and the M5 are they're blunted experiences that are designed to be accessible and they're, they're designed to turn in great lap times because of technology, great tires and great electronics keeping everything under control. And they'll be very, very fast, but they're not necessarily fun. I mean, I I think the CTSV is fun. The new one, it wouldn't be my pick to go on a racetrack with, but if I had to choose it over the M5, yes, I would. Um, now, when we continue this conversation of, uh, on these two cars, I want to go uh, into the future with the BMW um, M5, and I want to go into the past when we discuss the CTSV. So let's start for, for a second and start with the 8 Series. Um, because that's where we're going next with the BMW M lineup, the M8, which was previewed a little bit at Pebble Beach. This is a car that's expected to have over 600 horsepower in a coupe-style body and a a grand coupe-style body as well. Enthusiasts were actually always really... um, they, they in particular really seem to like the M6, and I don't know why. I didn't think it was the prettiest car ever. But to them, that was what the embodiment of the M series really was really it'll be interesting yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens now with the m8 i think that's a more appropriate look for the brand uh as it continues it's kind it's kind of push into whatever more horsepower and performance that they're going to do next do you have I any interest in this car not really i don't think it'll be anything other than an analog to the s63 coupe i i don't see I mean, an S63 is not a car you'd ever take to the racetrack, and I don't think anyone will ever, in any situation on the planet Earth, take an M8 to the track. I just don't see that. I just can't see that happening. But I mean, we had this conversation already with the M5. You think it's going to be different? It's going to be a different situation than the M5? Yeah, totally. It's going to be way more expensive, first of all. Yes. So that's a totally different buyer. And again, the S-Class buyer does not take their S-Class to the racetrack. It just doesn't happen. Uh, one of the elements that it will be interesting about the the eight series. I mean, the the we don't have pricing or or full details on what an M8 might be. We have an M850, which is kind of like a um, M Sport version of the eight series. It will cost a hundred eleven thousand dollars. So already right there, we got a very expensive car. It's not even the full M model. So you're right, you're onto something there. But one thing that BMW has in this car is a four wheel steering system, and that might be the the sort of um, kitsch that the next generation um, vehicles will have. I, I I can't get excited about four wheel steering. I mean, it's been around since the 80s. Right. Uh, it leaves periodically because no one cares <laughs> yeah, about it. Exactly. And now I mean, it's if, making a comeback. It's if everything you, now. If you have a full size pickup truck and you want it to be easier to park, then four wheel steering makes a lot of sense. Um, I my latest encounter with four wheel steering was with the Ferrari GT4C Lusso and. It wasn't really a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could feel it working on the highway, especially, but other than that, it's it's not something that I'm particularly fond of. So then, are you? you so like I said, you're not so interested in this M8 uh, in, in any particular way. Is this more or less interest than you have in the M5? I I don't think they're comparable cars, um, really. 
Uh-huh. I think it's I think they're two very very different market segments. I think it's just going to be people who want a two door seven series. It's, I mean that that's who's going to be buying this car. Gotcha. All right, then let's uh, let's go back to the CTSV and talk about um, its her- heritage because you've got a very special piece of it. Yeah, I, I've owned a CTSV for 10 years now. I have a 2004, uh, which is the first year they came out. And my car is a zero-option car, no sunroof, six-speed manual because they were all manual. And it has the 400-horsepower LS6 V8 under it, mm-hmm. under the hood, 5.7 liter, which I had for the first two years before it moved on to the LS2 uh, which in the V community we like to call the truck motor, <laughs> but um, it's I I bought the the car because I was shopping it against as I was saying earlier the M5, mm-hmm. and I went with the Cadillac because it's way easier to maintain. <laughs> uh, pu- pu- the pushrod V8 under the hood is bulletproof. It's I've taken it to the track for years, beaten the crap out of it, and so far the only two major components I've had to replace have been the drive shaft, which has non-serviceable CV joints. So when the CV joint went, I had to replace the whole thing. And the radiator, which actually tore at the top along the seam at my first autocross event that I went to. So that was embarrassing. But uh, it, I, I love the car. Um, I've had it a very long time, and I'll probably be buried in it. It's, it's a, I, Another reason why I bought that car was because at the time, I bought it around 2008, 2007, it's because I thought that large, comfortable, manual transmission V8 cars were, were disappearing. Mm-hmm. That that was going to be a part of the market that would completely evaporate. And that's the kind of car that I want. I wanted a modern muscle car. The the V happens to have a very nice chassis to go with that. But I'm not a Mustang guy and I'm not a Camaro guy. So that kind of limited my options. And that had me looking at Cadillac, looking at BMW with the M5. And there weren't a lot of other V8 options at that time. And I'm also not a flashy guy. I don't like driving cars that are kind of ridiculous looking. The V is a bit of a sleeper. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's extremely rare. Uh, They only made... I believe 7,000 in the first five, four years of production. Oh, wow. And in Canada, where I live, they made two, they sold 200 a year. So I never, ever, ever encounter anyone <laughs> in another V. Like I've run into maybe three or four on the street in 10 years. They're just not out there. So that's fun. It's, it's nice to have a car no one else has, especially at the racetrack. And it's fun to go on a track and kill M3s with it, which is part of the, part of the thrill. But uh, comparing it to the new car, Sammy, yeah. they're just so different. Okay. Uh, there's there's almost no the the weights uh, my car is about 300 pounds lighter, so it weighs about what a new Mustang weighs around okay. 37 3800 pounds. It's a manual transmission obviously, so right there you have a huge difference in how direct the car feels. There's very very minimal electronics in it in terms of traction control. It has a track mode and it has traction control on, and that's pretty much it. Like it's other than that you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ha- the engine is it's loud. Uh, the idle is loping. Um, I have a <laughs> aftermarket exhaust on it, so it's even louder than it needs to be. And uh, it's it's smaller, even though it's a large car than the current V, uh, because they went to a much larger platform with the new CTS. And um, after I had them, obviously I've driven them back to back several times. I did a, I did a comparison last week for Auto Guide, which is going to be coming out soon. And I still like my car more. I I don't think I would make the trade. Um, I if I was gonna go to a modern V, it would probably be the ATSV. Yeah. Even though it doesn't sound very good, and the part of the reason why I don't own an ATSV right now is because it doesn't have a small block V8. I think that's a really important factor. Okay. 
that's missing from the car. Just the visceralness of that engine is is so incredible. And I every time I get in my car, it makes me smile. Like there's, I never wish I was driving something else. It's and it's rare for me to find a car like that. That's really interesting because I know you and I uh, are uh, we have a little bit of an age gap, but um, I don't. That's know kind of what makes it hot, though, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's I what I've heard. I don't know if I have the same passion for eight cylinder engines as you do. I don't know where that came and and I don't remember it uh, V8s being this thing that were in everywhere and the noise had to be the noise of a V8 was, is revered but to me about the ATSV I would pick the ATSV um today because I love the manual transmission and to me that's what I'm worried about more than the eight cylinder noise is that the manual transmission is going away I also love the the feel of the ATSV it's the perfect size in my opinion um and it just it just gets the job done for me if the interior was better I'd be all over it. Well, but, the ATSV is actually almost exactly the same size as my CTSV. Yeah, that's what I think is really cool. You've got uh, you've got like a, I guess a predecessor when they when they had that tweener, the CTS, um, when it first showed up. Then they split it into the current CTS and the um, current ATS, which I think is an interesting move. Did you see that being necessary back when you saw the ATS uh, CTSV for the first time? Necessary in what sense? That they had to split this car into two new vehicles? Well, it was a long time ago. It, it, the The market was very different. Um, the 3 Series was much smaller than it is today. So it, it made sense to make a car that was kind of... A, it, if you look at the way the car was positioned, it was an M5 competitor at, a three, at an M3 price. Mm-hmm. I mean, the car was $50,000, and today, if you were to uh, you know, extrapolate that to today's money, that's 70000 So it's still fifteen grand less than the current CTSV's market position. So it was in a different space in terms of what it was competing against. And I, I like that because I, uh, the, the, one of the other things that pushed me towards the Cadillac versus the, the BMW is the BMW had been designed in the 90s. The E39 platform was a 90s platform, but the the CTS platform was a millennium platform. It was one that had come out much more recently. It was much more modern, and that really helped push me over the edge. And as good as the E39 was, I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast in the past, that car, when it came out at the end of the 90s, and the when the M5 came out in 2000, it was so far ahead of absolutely everything else on the market. It, it it's it's mind blowing how much better that car was dynamically. It's just incredible. So Cadillac had a boogeyman or a bogey, whatever you want to call it, on their radar that they're like, this is the car we're targeting and this is what we're going after, and they were able to um, largely achieve that. I mean, it's 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 a great car. It it has problems. Uh, from the factory, the differential is horrible. The rear differential. They went through four different iterations of it before they well, found yeah, one. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it. I can't take it drag racing because if you do a clutch drop, it explodes. The oh. the different. But my car has the fourth gen um, differential. It's stronger than most. I've never had a problem road racing it, which is all I care about. The uh, shifters is garbage. It was designed to be isolated and comfortable, and as a result, it was super rubbery and the thr- the sh- the the shift throws were very long and, and hard to get in to the right gate. So I have a short shifter on it that's dramatically improved it. Um, the engine mounts are bad news. They are liquid-filled. And what happens is they're, the exhaust would heat them up. They would crack. The liquid would come out. And then you'd have no engine mounts, basically. Oh, <laughs> so, my God. Okay. So I've replaced those twice now with poly ones, which I keep tearing. But, uh, it, the, you know, those are – this is the first-gen – 
performance car from Cadillac. They had a learning curve. So that's largely where the learning curve goes. And the interior, it's not great. I mean, it's fine for me, but there's a lot of plastic in there. And uh, I like the gauge cluster. It's it's very nice. Um, but there's not a lot of features. It's not it's not going to overwhelm you with luxury. It's a comfortable car. It has good seats. But it's you don't get in it, and it's not anywhere even close to the current CTSV, which some people say still isn't enough. You know. Cool. Um, I so let's you want to keep going here. We've got. Uh, I want to talk to you about. Yeah, one let's more. do it. Light lightning round. Lightning there is round. no lightning round. I've no, got, come on, hit me, hit me with something. Come up with something. All I've got is this this news that's going around that um, you remember how Ford is not going to make any more cars, and then they what? Said, no, I totally forgot Ford about that. Is not going to be selling any more cars in the U.S. but the Mustang, and then there was this like, oh, but maybe there's this crossover version of the Focus, and the Focus that might come back. But then today the news came out that we're definitely not getting the Focus. So they'll just be the Mustang. And you know what? There was also some news this week that the Mustang is going to move to a modular platform that will accommodate all-wheel drive. Okay, yeah. I remember that, though, being said back when the Lincoln Aviator was was introduced, that they said that might share the same platform as the Mustang, um, a rear-wheel drive-based vehicle and uh, with optional all-wheel drive. I can see that happening. I think I don't see that being a, um, a terrible um, move, but... Everyone's got modular platforms. I think that we might end up just seeing like a really watered down Mustang that does everything, you okay. know, because because they don't have any other cars. So they kind of have to have the one car that does everything. You know how like the Challenger has like a million different versions? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like that with the Mustang. I mean, we're close to that now. Right. Uh, we haven't had Shelby's. We haven't had the crazy Shelby GT500 stuff for a while. We, we've had the more modest um gt350 modest but Please, that car is insane too yeah well it's it's not nearly as insane to drive as the ha, did yeah. have you ever driven the the, GT the workout machine yeah that, yeah, that, that thing, had the that, heaviest clutch i think i've ever experienced in a, in a modern car it's also one of the few cars that has scared me on a racetrack <laughs> to, to the point where i'm not necessarily comfortable driving it oh uh, so uh yeah so that's kind of missing from the lineup so once we get those back then you know we'll be back in challenger country <laughs> but uh it's what are you gonna do i mean you, ford says they're in the middle of like an 11 billion dollar multi-year restructuring mm-hmm. i i guess okay i mean there's not really anything as a consumer you can say to that uh you hope they survive as a company you wonder what happens when they stop selling 900,000 F-150s a year uh, and where that, that money happen? is going to – Oh, yeah, of course it's going to happen. Okay. I mean we don't live in a in a universe where spending is just perpetual and ever-increasing. It's but not that, how – that 900,000 figure of the uh, F-150 hasn't like – it hasn't dropped, man. It's still intense. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it it has dropped in the past. It's not mm. a forever. It's it, do you remember 2008 when all car sales dropped? And yeah. Everybody lost their jobs, <laughs> and everyone started buying three cylinder cars too. That was ten years ago. Uh, long enough for people to forget, mm. and long enough for people to not realize that past behaviors projected into present day can create similar situations. Right. Okay. So, are you going to pour one out for the fo- the for the Focus in America? No, not at all. I like what? the Focus, but. I like the Focus, but I, honestly, I'm I'm not really down with Ford's plan. I think it's short-sighted, and I think that for a company that claims to be um, at the vanguard of green technology, the decision to concentrate all of its resources on heavy uh, crossovers, SUVs, and trucks that aren't nearly as fuel-efficient as cars is um, deceptive. This is something that's been going on around the industry slowly, but surely everyone seems to be for, like... 
shining less of a spotlight on their cars and more of a spotlight on their SUVs. I think Nissan and Subaru were the ones that really caught on quickly first. And now I'm seeing Hyundai and Honda and Toyota doing the this as well. Uh, yeah, well, they're going where the money is, which makes sense. But, right. but the problem with Ford is they're a company that makes a big deal over offering green options. And they've just eliminated almost all of those options. I mean, we had the mm-hmm. Fusion Energy, which hasn't changed in a very long time. That's gone. Uh, do we have to the, talk about the C-Max? Do we have to talk about the C-Max? The C-Max no. is gone. The Ford Focus Electric, which was never upgraded to be competitive as an electric yeah. car, is going to be gone. I mean, it's it, it's a lot of lip service to a concept that gets them really good marketing, and that's it. And that's disappointing because they're better than that as a company. Mm-hmm. That's uh, at, least, at least I think they are. I think I agree with you with that. I think lately we've seen some really good things come out from them. And their cars have nothing to be ashamed of. I thought they were great vehicles, especially the Ford and the Fiesta and the Escape line, which are all based on the same somewhat somewhat the same platform, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's a shame that they would not continue this offering these kinds of cars in our in our future. The Escape, yes, but I don't know. Have you seen that that Fiesta based uh, crossover? It's called the Echo Sport. I that seems like one of the least desirable vehicles on the road. It, it's it's really not anything to be proud of, I think. And you know, when and a that's a like, shame because the Fiesta isn't bad. Well, when a company like GM can produce the Bolt and the Volt and keep making them, <laughs> uh, and and Ford just washes its hands of its of its electric car program, I mean, what kind of a message does that send? You're right. Actually, the more I think about it, the Bolt and its design, in particular, was really like crossovery. It's got that big hatch. It's got a really big greenhouse. It, it seems like it's easier to to live with on a day to day than a small, pure car looking vehicle. And then you go to Hyundai, who has the Kona and the Kona EV. Is, it has just been announced, and I think it's going to have about 250 miles of range. And that's another SUV ish vehicle with an electric battery. Um, and they also have the the um, Ionic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a, uh, a, a new, an EV yeah. and hybrid de- specific platform, and then you have Toyota, which has the Prius family of vehicles, mm-hmm. and yet, and yet Ford is like, no, we're just going to make high profit, large vehicles to get poor fuel mileage. I mean, like, come on, that's brutal. You're right, and considering you mentioned the nine hundred thousand Ford F one fifties, these are, I mean, yes, their trucks are more fuel efficient than its competition, but these are still gas guzzling kind of cars yeah i'm not i'm not saying don't buy trucks i like trucks i've owned many many trucks and most of them were f-150s but what but i'm what i'm saying is what i'm you, talking about is like on a corporate yeah, level exactly don't say one thing and do another because absolutely. it's come on absolutely you're right you're hitting it right on the head there they they said they, they said oh yeah we still we we've got so many options and we're a green company but it seems like what they really care about in what where they've spent a lot of money is investing into that f-150 and making more engines for that too and it's short-sighted because as great as that vehicle is, eventually sales will tail off. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the graph does not spike up towards the top right of the corner forever. It never does on any product anywhere. So you have to have a diversified portfolio for when the change comes. Okay. And, you know, Ford's like, oh, well, we'll just pull some cars out of Europe and shove them into North America. Maybe they can do that and have some success. Mm. Maybe people will remember that Ford used to sell cars. But that seems like a really big chance to take. It does. I think so. And I mean, I think... This might this might be a little off topic, but I think people develop relationships not just with their the automaker, but with the dealership. And if the dealership, if the dealership no longer has the cars that they're looking for or that they liked, 
then people are going to move on. Um, yeah, and 100%. That, and if they find another dealership or that they build a relationship with, they're not going to come back to the Ford just because, oh, look, the focus is back after you didn't want it. Yeah, um, and, and what do you think dealers are feeling right now? Because they're the ones that are going to have to deal with people coming to their showroom and then turning them away. And trying to I sell mean, them on uh, an Escape when all they want is a Fiesta or a, or, um, a what's it called? A Focus. Yeah, and, and and not only that, maybe not all they want, but all they can afford because mm-hmm. SUVs are across the board more expensive than their vehicles, their their hatchback or sedan equivalents, and that's why Ford has turned to SUVs and trucks exclusively because they have a higher profit margin. They don't cost more to build, but they do sell for higher transaction prices. So you're going to be cutting a certain customer out of your lineup too, especially if that customer is not interested in a vehicle like the EcoSport, which is not. You know, it's not it good. Be, it's not no, it's the lo- it's the loss leader. I mean, and and they look at that, and then they look at what's available from Kia or Hyundai or Honda. Or and Nissan. Gonna, that kicks is really well received. Yeah, so they're it's it's it just comes across as cynical in some ways, Absolutely. and it's too bad because I like Ford as a company. I don't like what they're doing, mm-hmm. and I wish they would change their minds about it. And they're not going to listen to me. I I have zero sway at Ford. I I turned my back on um, when they offered me the CEO position. I was like, no, I can't handle the you pressure. Can't do it. Yeah, I remember no. that. Uh, and it, because we had this podcast too, they, you know, that was a big. They said abandon the podcast, Ben, and I was like, no. you know what? There's some lines you just don't cross. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. I appreciate that. You're not going to the CEO, CEO position next week, are you? I it's still up in the air. Okay. Well, assuming Ben doesn't leave our, the podcast for some lucrative CEO position at an automaker, uh, you can catch us on well in the same place every time. That's the Unnamed Automotive Podcast website, just www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And if you go there, you can subscribe to all of our uh, episodes um, using your favorite podcast client. There's iTunes. There's Google Play Music. There's Google Podcasts. There's Spotify. There's Pocket Casts. Um, there's CastBox, and I'm sure there's some iteration of all of those words put together in some way or another. <laughs> um, additionally, if you wanted to get in touch with us and you want to see what we're up to, I suggest you reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I don't mind, um, you know, wrestling with those crazy people on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha. While Ben likes to live in the wonderfully painted world of Instagram, he's at Hunting Benjamin. Addition- well, you can e- you can email me. Can you can they email me, Sammy? Of course, they can email you at uh, it's Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Or you could go to you know the website that Sammy was talking about, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, also has a contact form, and we actually do get quite a few submissions through there. So thank you for that. I actually really like the reader comments, and feedback, and the questions. We get to do that um, every once in a while. We get to answer a couple of questions, and so feel free to send us whatever's on your mind. Um, we don't mind hearing your thoughts, and uh, we might even share them on the podcast as well. And if next week uh, if people tune in, what will, what will we be talking about, Sammy? Okay, next week I actually will be driving a cargo van, the new Mercedes Sprinter. And I don't think I'm going to bore you guys with that too much, but I will be checking out a comparison by my colleagues. That's three three-row crossovers. That's the new Subaru Ascent up against the Honda Pilot and the VW Atlas. And I will be talking about some retro Mazdas that I've been driving back-to-back this week, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, one of them is a, an old favorite, and the other one is a first-timer for me. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear it. I've actually seen a couple of your photos about these cars, so I'm really excited about it. All right, so thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great week. Bye.